0: Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice.
1: What's up, guys? Thank you for tuning in once again. Before we dive into the episode, we want to give a huge thank you and shout out to our podcast sponsor, Built by Strength. All of their products are third-party tested to make sure that there are no banned substances. So if you're looking for good
2: sports nutrition supplements, make sure to check them out. What's up, guys? This week on the podcast, we had Coach David Mathis. He talked about the importance of mental health and finding a mentor. Enjoy.
1: So what's your story, man? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Ah, man that might open up a can of worms. (laughs) Um, well, um, for those of you guys that might be tuning in that don't know me, my name is David Mathis. Um, I am an army combat medic veteran. Um, I also have a master's in exercise science from the university of South Florida. Um, I did my studying under Dr. Bill Campbell, which if anybody follows, uh, probably knows Bill pretty well. Um, he's even better as a mentor than he is as a researcher. So, um, I'm also an online physique and strength coach. Um, I was mentored by Elaine Norton and work with team BioLane Now I'm actually the longest tenured coach with team BioLane. I started off there when it was just him and myself and Holly <laughs> Damn. Uh, years ago. And I just started off as a, as an unpaid intern and really just wanted to gather as much information, as much mentoring on coaching as I knew it's what I wanted to do. Um, and I actually started interning with him before I even started grad school. So I've been with him for quite a while. He's taught me a lot. Um, I've learned a lot through just hundreds and hundreds of clients and different case studies myself, and then uh, actively participating in research during uh, grad school Um, on four, I think four different uh, published research uh, papers. So that's exciting to have that kind of credential. Um, and I actually, you know, part of the reason why I got into this so heavily is I was an athlete my whole life. Um, but during the military, I actually, uh, really, really suffered from a a very, very life debilitating, uh, eating disorder. And I, I nearly died from it. I actually, I have a book coming out in a couple weeks that kind of details my whole journey. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Um, and then, you know, I just, you know, through guys like Lane and some other, very evidence-based people over the years um, I was able to recover um, through the help of therapy and other other means too and I just knew that I wanted to devote my life to um, not only helping people get their best physique possible but health in general because um, I like I said I was an athlete my whole life I've been uh, in love with bodybuilding since I was a teenager you know back when the magazines were still on the stands like right. I'm, I'm 36 so Late, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, when magazines were still big. Um, but most of all, I just want to really try to help continue to educate people on um, sustainable ways to lose weight, keep it off, build muscle, and just make sure that they're healthy overall.
2: You opened up a lot of can of worms. You weren't kidding there, man. So <laughs> no. I, I'm also a uh, graduate, undergraduate for USF, and Bill Campbell was my teacher as well. So what time, when did you graduate? Uh, I graduated um, December of nineteen. Oh, okay, so a year right after me. So you might have, you may have been going through when I was going through. Yeah, I started in the fall of eighteen. Oh wow, dude, when small you- world. I mean, given you've seen the 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 exercise building, it's not yep. large at all. I don't know how we didn't bump shoulders or anything. We I we might
0: have, we might have. <laughs> oh, I mean, no. Now, honestly, like all of our um, all of our classes are at night. Oh right, for grad school. So maybe we did maybe we didn't i was there a lot but usually i was stuck upstairs or in the lab uh, i was in the lab
2: as well i did both uh power studies well the one that the ones that i was there for uh andres but that might have been before you got there that was slightly before but actually i'm really good friends with andres um
0: yeah so um that was uh the year before so i think that finished up in the spring mm-hmm. of 18 and then i started fall of 18 somewhere around there i, I, I can't really pinpoint the exact times, but um, actually, you know, I got to be friends with Andres because um, Wayne had actually put up a video that he was going over um, Andres' thesis, Mm -hmm. and and that's how I got to know about Andres, and then I actually saw him that spring at Mm -hmm. the USF powerlifting meet, and I just introduced myself, and we just – we're friends to this day, so – He's an amazing guy. We actually have him slotted for the
2: podcast soon as well. Nice, nice. Well, make sure you tell him I said hi. <laughs> I will. Now, you did mention or you alluded to the fact that you went through a eating disorder. Mm-hmm. You want? You mind just giving a little more more detail yeah. about that?
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's why I wrote the book too. So a lot of people <laughs> are going to really, really get to know the, uh, the ugly truth about um, not just eating disorders, mental health in general. Um, I had a lot of very severe anxiety disorder, um, obsessive-compulsive disorder, uh, depression, all this stuff. And, and it all really stemmed from a lack of uh, this feeling of control. And and I talk a lot about that in the book and how really therapy is what what saved me. Um, I mean, I got down to the point where I was in the ICU, and they actually flew my parents up to base because uh, this was when I was still in the Army, because they didn't think I was going to make it through the night. Like I dropped down. I had a 25 resting heart rate. I weighed, I weighed 94 pounds. Like I was done. (laughs) I was done. But I talk a lot about how it was not really about the physical component. It wasn't about for me so much. Um, it wasn't so much about body image. Now there's always going to be that element to an eating disorder. There's always going to be that. But the main factor was a lot of, unresolved issues from my childhood that I wasn't dealing with, mm-hmm. um, through relationship issues over the years, through the death of a close friend, through just all these changes in life. And, and that's what the premise of the book is about, is to like talk about mental health, talk about eating disorders, but also talk about how it's never just one thing. Yeah. It's always a confounding you know thing. And um, then I kind of talk about how I overcame it and, and all that. So, yeah, it was pretty bad, man. Um, I would do... Two or three workouts a day. Um, I I was constantly, constantly trying to work off whatever I ate, and a lot of that kind of comes from some military aspects too. Because during basic training, um, that's where a lot of my insecurities with food, that's where a lot of my um, eating disorder behaviors started. Because you know, you'd have to eat really quick. You you would never know when you got to eat. Um, we were forced to like do physical stuff right after we got done eating. So all these things along with issues I wasn't dealing with, or I didn't even know I had, they just kind of confounded. And then um, I got, there was a, there was an unfortunate incident when I was deployed. Um, I was trying to apply for officer candidate school. Um, So they they flew me around. I was in Iraq. That's where I was. I was in Baghdad. They flew me around to some different bases. I I went through and did my interviews with, with the general Um, I got my letters of recommendation, like everything was good. We were solid. Something happened and I'm still not sure to this day what it is, but my application did not get back to the review board in time. And I was denied because it was late and I was going to have to wait a whole nother year. And at that point it was like, (laughs) you know, when your cup of water, or cup of coffee is like right at the brim and you put one little drop in and it spills over that was it for me. And I just kind of went into, I, I don't know if we're a lot of cuss. Um, yeah, yeah. I went in, and I say this in the book, I went into fuck it mode. Yeah. Like I took all of my anger out on myself. I punished myself because I, I, I was dealing with stuff like lack of self-esteem. Um, you know, I thought it wasn't worthy. Just all these things that kind of play through your head. Um, and then I kind of had like, other abandonment issues that I felt from from younger days, and it was just a big melting pot, and it just flew uh, flowed over. And when we got back from Iraq, I just kind of I just went nuts. I, I was barely eating. Um, I mean, RPT in the morning for for the Army, we'd have to be there at five or five thirty something like that. Um, I would get up at like two or two thirty wow. and go to the gym on base and work out. Go home, shower, put on my Army. PT clothes and go to army PT because I didn't want anybody to know that I was, you know, it's very secretive behaviors when it comes to exercise compulsion and eating disorder behaviors. It's very secretive because there is a lot of embarrassment, but there's also this, um, this element of, you know, you're not chemically right in the head. Mm-hmm. Right. So like I described this to my therapist and I described it in the book too, where I felt like I was kind of like outside of my body looking down and I knew what I was doing was, was not good, but I couldn't stop myself. And that's an element of, of mental health in general that a lot of people don't understand. It's like, well, okay, you know, it was wrong. You say, you know, it was wrong. Why don't you just stop? It doesn't work like that. You have to get to a point to where you want the help. If you don't get to that point, you're never going to accept it. I went through two separate Um, inpatient rehab facilities, still acting on my compulsion, still acting on my stuff because I didn't want it. You know, it was finally in that second one towards the end, you know, when I was like, shit, I, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, like I want to be healthy. I have a purpose. And honestly, you know, I talk about um, suicide in it, things like that. Like there is a very, very dark, deep element to mental health that I don't think a lot of people understand um, that it's, it's not so much of a, it's not so much of a a desire to keep doing those activities. It's, it's literally comes down to, you don't, you don't know how to stop. And uh, so the book I I hope goes into great detail and helps a lot of people. That's why I wrote it. I got very personal in it. Uh, There's stuff that my family didn't know happened or what I was thinking. Uh, There's stuff that my wife didn't know or what was thinking. I mean, she, she helped proofread it and that was the first time she learned a lot about that. I mean, she obviously knew the big stuff, right? But um, you know, there's some there's some things in there that I'm embarrassed about and I'm I'm not proud of, but I thought that are very important that mm-hmm. need to be in there. So, I don't know if I went down one of those rabbit holes. And no, <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's,
2: matter, it's all fine. Now, I have a question. So like Was this more of like when you were doing this compulsive exercising, was it more of a momentum thing or did you actually get like a reward response when you exercised in that moment?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, It's kind of, kind of both. So like I did get this, uh, it was kind of like compounding because it was just part of the obsessive compulsive. Mm -hmm. So it was just part of my everyday routine. Like if I didn't do something, if I didn't try to, do more exercise than I did yesterday. If I didn't do any of this stuff, I felt like a failure. Mm-hmm. And and that also comes with a perfectionist attitude that I think I had a little bit before I went into the army, but one that definitely was enhanced by the army. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also in the book I talk about it, like I, for a while I did blame the army, but it, it wasn't, the army. it wasn't the army. These were, these were issues that I didn't deal with personally from years ago. Now, there's certain elements of the military life that exasperated these, right? But when I was still in that phase of, like, blaming the Army and all this stuff, I still wasn't healthy. I still wasn't right. It's it it was. It's been years later when I'm like, listen, they did more for me than I could ever expect. This is not on them. This is on me and my unresolved issues. Um, but then the other part was that um, – I'm sorry. What was the question? It was, was there a reward?
2: Yeah. Did you feel like you were getting a reward when you were exercising? Cause you did mention that you felt like it, you weren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. It wasn't good for you. Right. But in, I was curious, like during in the moment, did you feel like yeah. this is great?
0: I, I did because it was the reason the exercise compulsion got so out of hand mm-hmm. is because I was trying to outdo or outrun my fear and my anxiety. Mm-hmm only way i could do that is if i was constantly moving you know i was wearing myself out my heart rate was like i was trying to just outrun outdo this anxiety that i felt 24 7 Mm -hmm. and um you know when i would go through a workout you know you get those endorphins you you get this this high right Mm -hmm. that was my escape it was you know since i was a teenager i've been I wouldn't say obsessed, but very, very interested in nutrition and training and all this stuff. And so I relied on the things that I knew I could control. I, I could control my food intake. I could control how much exercise I do. I, because I at that time, I did not feel like I had control. Um, I didn't have control of my thoughts. I didn't have control of my emotions. I didn't even have control of a lot of my things that I could do because, as anybody knows, when you're in the military, it's not your life. It's the military's life. So, um, this was a big shocker to me too, because I was 24 when I went into the military. So I'd already graduated undergrad. I'd actually already been out working in the real world for a couple of years in a corporate job. Um, and I was a personal trainer also at the time too. And I was in there with a, a good number of people during basic training that were 18, 19 years old and that they needed that kick in the ass, Right me, I was, I've always been a very disciplined person. I've always been kind of older than my age. Um, I did learn looking back on it now that I did need the mental toughness of it, but the, the games that they play with you in the army, like, I, I think that's why actually basic training wasn't too bad for me because I knew it was a game. Like I was old enough. I I knew the game that they were playing. Right. Um, but I still learned a lot of great valuable lessons from it and everything, um, that I was able to carry over. And honestly, it is weird as it might sound is much of my destructive behavior came from, came during my time in the army. I think part of the reason I was actually able to overcome it was because of that mental strength that I developed in the army. So, yeah, but I did get that kind of reward from working out because honestly, it's like, how's the most describe it? Um, when you have a lot of anxiety, um, it feels like you've got 10 different conversations going on in your head at one time. Like you're fearful of everything. Um, and I don't mean fearful. Like you think someone's going to kill you. You're just very, very on guard about everything and anxiety manifests itself in different ways for different people. Uh, for me, I developed a lot of severe panic attacks, um, that I didn't know were panic attacks. Like I just, my heart would race. I couldn't breathe. Like I was just frozen. And when I can feel myself starting to get to that point, I would jump down and I would do like, and I don't mean this like in any sort of exaggeration, I would do 1500 burpees a day. Yeah. Like I would split them up into 500 in the morning, 500 in the afternoon, 500 in the evening. And my lower backs fucked because of it still to this day. (laughs) But the point is, is that like, I never learned to, because I didn't deal with a lot of my issues earlier. And and to be fair, I didn't even know that they were issues. It was stuff that was just kind of like, kind of down, you know, in my, in my gut. I, I never really acted upon them, but as my stressors increased, they kind of exasperated and they came out and I did the only thing that I knew how to do. And that was, you know, control my food, control my exercise, and just try to do anything I could to calm down the voices in my head. And I don't mean voices like I, I was like hearing things, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. chaos in your head. I wasn't like that kind of.
2: Yeah, you didn't have five <laughs> different names depending on <laughs> the time of the day. <laughs> well, what, what, it it's
0: some... more like myself talking in five different tones to myself.
1: <laughs> right, right. So what would you say were some things uh, besides therapy that helped you to change your behavior towards exercise, controlling your food, et cetera?
0: Um, I mean, I have to give all the credit in the world to therapy because if I couldn't have recognized what my issues were, I would never have been able to overcome them. Um, But I will tell you that just getting healthier nutrients in my body that I don't think people understand that how much being malnourished messes with your, with your body chemistry, with your brain chemistry. So just getting nutrients in my body and being okay with eating again and putting on weight and stuff. Like I said, it was never really about, here's the weird thing is it was never really about the body image thing. Mm-hmm. I was so not right in the head that I actually thought everything I was doing was trying to make me bigger. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that's like a very weird thing, but like in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to eat really healthy. I, you know, I developed orthorexia, all this stuff. And I'm like, this is going to turn me into, I'm going to get big muscles. I'm going to turn into a big bodybuilder. Right. (laughs) Um, that's just kind of a very, very, uh, weird picture of how disturbing mental health can be. It's like you, you have this complete 180 view of what you're actually doing. Um, so therapy was, I would have to say 95% of it, um, nutrient, uh, getting more nutrients in you and then just educating myself, learning that like, okay, once I knew what I was doing was not right, <laughs> um, actually taking it upon myself to seek out that right information. And that's where I talked about earlier, you know, um, you know, this was back in 2012. 2011 2012 when it really started um I sought out people like Lane you know and got good information from him other people as well um that didn't really fully kick in right away right because i was still dealing with all that but it was that kind of voice of reason that helped me see that what I was doing wasn't right and that there was a better way and that you know, once I got healthy enough and my brain chemistry started coming back and I could see things differently and I was addressing the actual issue, the root cause, um, all that education just kind of started propelling me into recovery mode,
2: I guess. You know, I don't think enough people talk about the benefits of therapy and they think, at least in my, in, in my, in my view i see a lot of people think therapy equals crazy and they don't understand that it's nothing like that and anybody can benefit from therapy and if you just think about it like this when's the last time that you didn't benefit from just venting to somebody you cared about you know that's a great point that's a great point and it's just a lot of people are scared to do so and i don't see anything but benefits from having somebody that's a professional have an outside like perspective from what you're doing
0: yeah the 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 one thing that i want to get through to people in this book is that there it's just kind of twofold. It's very uncommon for a male to have a very severe eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Does it happen? Yes, it, it happens more than it's reported, but it's still more rare than a female, right? Now you you confound that by putting it as a male soldier. And I want people to understand that, listen, if I, who is supposed to be considered this tough soldier, right, can come out and talk about this, then I hope that frees another male up or female too. I mean, this book can be very attracted to females as well, because I don't just talk about the, the eating disorder or the military. I talk about relationship issues. I talk about, you know, life changes, things that everybody can relate to, right? In one way or another. But I hope that people can see, you know, listen, this Army combat medic soldier male Mm -hmm. went through this, can open up about it. Maybe that'll allow me to be able to go seek some help from a therapist or reach out to somebody as well.
2: You mentioned that basic training is something that you would like attribute to giving you that mental fortitude and that strength. And everybody needs that experience. Now, not everybody's going to sign up to become an army man or a soldier. Uh, How may you implement this with your clients to kind of give them something to stay disciplined to or gain mental fortitude from?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think with anything, it's very important to set small stepping stones to achieve. You, you are not going to gain mental strength or mental fortitude if you start at A and try to end up at Z, right? Like you're going to fail and you are going to be frustrated and you're going to want to give up. So why not? Let's, let's try to just aim for B, right? Let's aim for B. Let's achieve that. Let's understand the work that it took in to get that. Let's appreciate the accomplishment. Um, let's learn from maybe some things that went wrong. Let's learn from things that went right carry that over to sea. So I think a lot of it is just being patient, uh, breaking things down into more small achievable goals. Um, but yet still having them big enough to where you have to exercise that, uh, that capacity to keep striving, right? Like, you know, to, to say, you're going to, I don't know what's a really good example. Um, you know, just to take these small little steps, Are great it's achievable but really how much are you stretching yourself Mm -hmm. it's really finding that fine line with everybody as to how far you can you can shoot and aim for to stretch far enough like progressive overload right right? right. like you just progressively overload um a new challenge uh an achievable challenge but still yet a difficult challenge right Mm -hmm. and then once you achieve that um let's say you maybe don't even even achieve it the first time you fail that's actually probably better, right? You fail, you learn why you failed, you go at it again, you accomplish it. And then you just, you understand first of all, your abilities, right? You have more in you than you thought you did. And you know, you know at this point how to overcome obstacles and it's just stringing together little things like that. I mean um, you know, in my case, it was, it was uh, behavioral therapy. So it was, actually going out, getting out of my OCD element, getting out of my routine, you know, it could be as big as, and and I go into great detail about how bad the OCD was, but like for me, I I would uh, like in the morning, let's put this for example, I always got up at the same time, no matter what, even if I was laying there in bed awake, I waited until a certain time to get up out of bed. I wouldn't start the microwave until it set a certain time on the microwave. Right, a certain time of day, so it that's a very extreme account of OCD, right? Um, so a big step for me was let's try to get up out of bed five minutes different, right? Let's try to start your meal, start the microwave five or ten minutes later, right? Things like that, and over time, you know, you don't think at, at the time that you're doing it, that you're going to be able to do it. It's like the most terrifying thing in the world. It. I can't tell you how many times I just like just wanted to explode. I was like dying inside. Um, and I can't even tell you and, and say that I was successful all the time. I wasn't. But it's just not giving up. And, and that's kind of the theme of the book in general is just, listen, there's no good place to start. So wherever that starting point is for you, It's going to be different for everybody. Just start there. Just let momentum keep carrying you through. So, you know, behavioral therapy, um, exposure therapy is what I actually meant to say. Sorry. Um, Exposure therapy like that was very, very critical. And I think that that's really critical for clients too, that I work with. It's like, I see this a lot with um, people that are very, very heavy on cardio, right? And they're afraid to come down on cardio, but they want to build muscle. Right. So listen, I, I tell them, first of all, I'm not a coach that's going to tell you, you got to give up cardio because I, I don't believe that. I think cardio is wonderful, especially if you are in a bulk. it's just about controlling it. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I have somebody that's doing, let's just say two hours of cardio a week, which it's really not that much, but let's just use that for an example. And they're having a really hard time coming down. I want to get them down to an hour a day or an hour a week. Right well, let's, let's bring that two hours down to an hour 50. Let's stay there for a week or two, right? Then once you're comfortable with that, let's come down to an hour and 40 and just those small little steps. I think people get really, really <sighs> flustered because they try to take two biggest steps, two big a leaps. When in reality, we're not looking for that goal to happen real quick. We're looking for that goal to happen and then stick. So a sustainable uh, approach to it. So
2: Now you hit something big, uh, or you alluded to something big when you said let's hang around here only a 10, 10 minute decrease for one to two weeks. Now one to two weeks in some people's mind is an eternity and they're, they're yeah. looking at the scale. They're like, why am I not getting lighter? Why am I not ripped? And I'm just curious how you, one, maintain motivation for these people that want instant gratification. And two, how do you keep them as your, your client for this long period of time?
0: Um, so I think that the big thing is, is that you always have to have different goals to shoot for. Right. So I try to explain to them, we'll just keep using this cardio example. Right. So I try to explain to them, at least with most clients that like, listen, I'm going to save some of your energy here with the cardio, but we want to try to shoot for a PR on this movement, weight training. So I try to show them like, listen, we're not taking away that calorie expenditure. We're just replacing, we're, we're just um, moving it to another area and trying to get them excited about getting stronger or, or growing more muscle, right? Things like that. So I think it's about obviously understanding your individual client that you're working with, what sticks with them, what doesn't. And that does take a while. I mean, that, that does, it's not something that's going to happen in a week or two. That's something that, you know, over the course of a month, two months, things like that, if you're good and you're actually paying attention and asking the right questions, um, you're going to be able to find out, right. And, and you can find it out pretty quickly. It doesn't take too long, but you have to have somewhere to put that fear of coming down and replace that with enjoyment for somewhere else. Does that make sense?
2: Oh, definitely. Okay. Definitely. It, it it's seems, always
0: in my head, but then when I explain it, I'm never sure. <laughs> it just makes sense. Yeah. It,
2: it, it seems like, you know, you like, as you alluded to for everything else, you want to give them small steps or small wins. So they actually feel like when they're giving up something, they're getting something in return. Exactly. And and if you don't show them that they're getting something in return and they're giving up something they truly love, the partnership might not be as good as you think it is.
0: Yep. And a lot of times too, when I, and Yeah, I know we're stuck on this cardio example, but a lot of times I find that people that have a hard time coming down with cardio because they don't feel like weight training gives them those endorphins, right? They don't Mm -hmm. feel like they're working that hard. Most of the time I find out that they're not working that hard in the Mm -hmm. weight training. And when I actually explain to them and put out a program and explain to them what I want them to do with the program, because there's, you can get templates all over, right? Mm -hmm. A three by 10 can mean many different things to many different people right? You have to explain to them, listen, you need to push harder here. And once they start pushing harder and you actually give them those parameters, weight training starts to become more challenging to them. And and they get those endorphin highs that they get from cardio. I was the same way. I was, I was a high intensity cardio guy, right? Mm -hmm. When I'd go into the gym, I thought I was training hard, right? But I wasn't getting that satisfaction. And I'm talking about when I was going through my shit, right? Yeah. Not now. Now I love weights, um, but I was—I I thought I was giving enough effort during weight training, but it wasn't the same intensity that I was given to my high-intensity cardio hit stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Once you learn the appropriate way to actually resistance train, mm-hmm. a lot of people start falling in love with it and realize, wow, I was never—I tra- wasn't training right. That's why it wasn't working for me. Right. So um, I think you said it perfect. You know, try to try to when you take away something, try to show them that you're not taking it away forever. You're just replacing it with something. Else.
2: Now, a big I mean, you you dropped a lot of big names at the beginning of, beginning of this podcast with uh, Bill Campbell and Lane Norton. And uh, you alluded to the fact that you were working as just an intern for free under Lane Norton. I'm just curious how that all started, uh, because. Yeah. Everyone talks about like you know find your mentor work for them for free and because knowledge is forever right well like I'm staring around I'm like oh who can I who can I work with and stuff like that and it seems like you found the right guy and I'm just curious how that worked out
0: so I've had I've, I've done like mentoring calls with people like coaching and stuff and they've always asked me the same question and I say listen the first thing that you have to get through your head is be okay with hearing no mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the worst thing that could have happened was that they said no. Right. And then I move on. Whatever. So I guess with the Lane situation, it was probably about eight months or so earlier, before I actually met him, mm-hmm. that I was out of I was out of recovery. I was out, you know, I was I was doing good. I was actually taking my prereqs at uh, uh, University of South Florida in St. Pete because my undergrad wasn't in uh exercise science. Mm-hmm. And um so I was getting all that together and I wrote him a le- I wrote him an email. I got a hold of his email address and I was just basically laid out what my story had been the last five years before that and how a lot of his information, a lot of his videos really helped open up a light in my in my eyes. Right. Um and I just thanked him. I was like, listen, I might not ever meet you, but I just want you to know that your videos are making a difference. That's all. That's how I was raised. If somebody does something for you, whether you meet them or not, you either go shake their hand, tell them thank you, you write them a note. That's just how I was brought up. I'm a Midwest boy. I'm an Indiana boy. That's how we were brought up. Um, So I wrote him that email, and he responded, which was great. And, um, you know, he said he really appreciated it. Thank you. That made him feel good. And that's all I I wanted. That's all I wanted to know. Well, fast forward to – September-ish of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I guess about three years ago. Um, this is where I had already made contact with Bill Campbell. So that summer, <laughs> this is actually kind of ironic. So I'm going to name drop some more people, but they're all friends now. So I don't <laughs> care. Um, one of my really good friends is Lauren Conlon. Are you, guys, are you guys familiar with Lauren? Mm-hmm. So I didn't know her at the time, but that spring her summer of 17, I had um, seen her YouTube video where she was presenting at um, ISSN in Clearwater. And that's actually how I became familiar with the program at USF. And that's where I first got introduced to who Bill Campbell was through that, through her video. And um, so I was like, wait a second. Cause I, I was looking at like maybe university of Florida or Georgia, somewhere like that to go i um, so glad I didn't because those are more clinical based and USF is very physique based, which is what I wanted. So I reach out to Bill Campbell and I'm like, I want to be a part of your program. <laughs> what do I have to do? Right. And I kind of, once again, I didn't go into as much detail as I did with Delane email, but I told him about my history. I'm an army combat medic veteran, blah, blah, blah. I went through all this shit he responded right away and he's like, yeah, why don't you come on in? We'll talk about it and see. All right. So I was like, shit. Okay. (laughs) So two days later I find myself in Bill's office at USF. I was living in St. Pete. So I drove over to Tampa and um, we just sat down, we talked and I kind of went down the rabbit hole like I did with you guys. (laughs) Um, And he's like, wow, that's quite a, that's quite a story. And I was like, listen, this is what I want to do. I want to be a part of your program what do I have to do? And we took a look at what I had. And honestly, I had all the prereqs done, which was great. This was July of 17. Okay. So he's like, well, why don't you just apply now? If there's maybe somebody that drops out and you're eligible and you, you get accepted, you might be able to slot in there in August for the new class that was starting up in August of 17. And this I'm talking about, this was like, mid to late July. I was like, "Okay, let's get to work. So I got like, you know, a Lieutenant Colonel that I worked with a letter of recommendation. I got some other stuff. Um, I got everything sent in. And unfortunately um, there was no slot that opened. Okay. So I was like, okay, that's fine. What can I do to be a part of this? And this was still no guarantee that I was getting into the program the next year. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Well, you know, you have your bachelor's, you have all this experience, you can help be a part of the research team, and like supervise the lab and and do all that, collect data." It's like shit. Let's do it. You know, at that point, I wasn't taking any more classes of uh, for uh, prereqs because I had them all. So I basically had like a year to do nothing. <laughs> I, I I was saving my GI bill. I used my whole GI bill for grad school, and I'm like, "Well, fine, let's do it." So, um. Started up there in August of 17, and then about four weeks later, um, I got an email from Bill, and he had known my story about how Lane had really helped, and during that meeting, actually, Bill was like, well, I'm, I'm good friends with Lane. He lives here in the area. I had no idea. I did not know that he lived in Tampa, and I did definitely didn't know Bill was friends with him, and uh, he's like, yeah, he comes in every now and then, and uh, you know, if he does, I'll let you know, and you can come meet. him." I was like, great, great. So it was about September of 17. Um, Lane was coming in to kind of go over another student. Um, you know, Warren Cluenzo Semple. The name's familiar, but that's about it. So she was uh, entering her last year of grad school. Mm. Um, and he was going over her um her re- her research project, kind of giving some critiques to see where, where it can get better. And uh so I got to meet him and you know, we, we talked for a little bit. I took him off to the side and said, listen, I don't know if you remember this, that email from about eight months ago, that was me. <laughs> uh, and he did. And he did. And I just shook his hand. I was like, listen, you know, I didn't think I was ever going to need a chance to tell you this. I appreciate it, everything. Um, and so the, later on that night, I did what I usually do. I shot another email <laughs> and I just said, thank you. It was really great to meet you. I'd love to maybe take you out for a beer coffee and just pick your brain a little bit. And he's like, he responded. He's like, well, can you come over to the house tomorrow? It was either tomorrow or the next day. I can't remember. I was like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I went over there and I sat down with him and I sat down that met Holly and um, I'd met Holly that day at USF too, but sat down with them and Lane was going through a very, very bad time. Uh, personally, professionally, all this stuff. And he's like, listen, we're, we're looking for some help and was wondering if you were interested because He knew that I was kind of looking to get mentored and he knew what I was wanting to do. And he actually even asked me in that meeting and kind of laugh about it to this day. Uh, He's like, so what do you want to do? Like, what's your goal? I was like, I looked at him and I said, well, I basically want to be you, but better. (laughs) And uh, he was kind of confused, but then at the same time, I think he really appreciated it. Um, And actually come to find out, because now I'm friends with uh, uh, Dr. Joe Konzeski. And he was Lane's mentor, and and I talked to Joe, and I told Joe actually at the Arnold in 2018 we were taking shots of tequila, and uh, I actually told him that story. He's like, Lane did that same thing to me. Oh wow! Wow. So it's kind of, and we're all Indiana boys. Okay, all of us are from Indiana, which I don't know if that's maybe just a a brave Indiana thing to do or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, so I met Lane uh, at the house. I told him. Uh, he's like, listen, I can't pay you. <laughs> uh, he laid it out on the line, everything he was going through personally and professionally and all this stuff. And I was like, don't worry about it, man. I got, uh, I got income from the Army. Um, I don't need it. I need the mentorship. I need the opportunity more than anything. And so I worked for him and Holly for almost a year before we brought on somebody else to kind of help out. Because at that point, so this is way before Contest Prep Book came out. Mm-hmm. Like, I was with him before that. Um, and so once that came out and he started to kind of get his reputation back a little bit, things started to build up, clientele started to build up a little bit more. Um, we brought on somebody else to help because I couldn't handle everything. And I was kind of starting to get into coaching a little bit more at that point. So all the administrative stuff, all that stuff that I was doing, I I just, I couldn't keep up with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's basically how I got hooked up with him. And then it's just kind of grown from there.
1: did you work with him for the carbon diet app or not?
0: So, um, no, (laughs) um, I did offer some stuff for that. Um, we just, it didn't work out. We didn't do that. That's a whole separate, separate company. Um, so no, I was not directly involved with that. However, I know everything about it. Yeah. (laughs) It's a separate company, but I know about it. Okay.
2: Yeah. Gotcha. I want to hit on the fact that you just laid out the line that most people are too afraid to do or just don't do in general because it's too prideful. The fact that you were, you, you sat there, you gave thanks to the person that gave you valuable information. And then you went up to him and said, I would love for you to teach me everything, you know, a lot of people are too afraid to do that. And it's maybe just makes them on a lower, like it makes you on a lower peg when you admit that. But as coming from you it's it's only a celery it slingshotted you into success, oh absolutely um
0: and this is what's this was kind of ironic is because when I would before therapy like when I was sick and and everything, I would never have really had the guts to do that
1: mm-hmm.
0: i' I was afraid of rejection. I had a lot of incidences that I talk about in the book of rejection, and I would not have had that mental strength if it wasn't for lessons I learned in the army. Um, obviously remembering and having a good upbringing from my family, things like that. Um, but also, also therapy and regaining that confidence and that belief in myself. Like I had belief that I knew like what I'm doing now, this is to me the, the bottom rung of where I want to get to. Mm-hmm. Like, like I've had great success, but I am nowhere near where I want to get to not just in coaching in many different levels, I have a lot of different ventures that I want to do. But that was kind of one of the big first steps for me to test if I actually had taken to therapy, if I actually had started to overcome this. And and it wasn't easy. It it wasn't easy. Like I was very fearful. Um, But one of those things kind of like with recovery, it's like, when you're ready for it, you're going to be ready for it. And I just felt like, listen, if they say no, that's going to suck. Like, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be okay. Right. And, um, yeah, man, I mean, I wouldn't be here sitting here talking to you guys today. You guys wouldn't know who I was if I wouldn't have taken that chance. And I think that a lot of people feel, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to bash today's generation. Okay. And and it's weird for me to say that because I know I look young, but I'm actually 36. So I'm a lot older than people think I look. I, I keep this beard for a reason. okay? Um, but to be completely honest, I, I think that God, even I'll just say 10 years, even like 25 and under, right? I think there's a big gap for a lot of people. Not everybody. I know plenty of very, very mature, very bold, you know, mid-20s, right? But I think that this day and era that we live in where communication isn't as top of a priority. And people might be hearing this like, what are you talking about? We're social media all the time. That's not communication. Yeah,
1: definitely. Okay? Mm-hmm.
0: Most people don't know how to get out and talk to people. They don't know proper etiquette. They don't know all this stuff. They don't know how to be with someone in real life and carry on a conversation, right? Because we're all like this now. Mm -hmm. And I hate that absolutely hate that for many reasons, but more so because I think it's going to limit a lot of opportunities that a lot of people could take advantage of. Mm -hmm. They're just not willing to either, either they're not willing to, or they don't know how to reach Mm -hmm. out and say hi. And I think that there's a lot of entitlement in the younger generation now. And they're like, wait a second, wait a second. You want me to work, but you don't want me to get money. And that's a, that's an honest to God assessment of of how I think that a lot of people feel like internships, like people, do they even do them anymore? Like, I don't even know. Like, I just feel, and this is a broad generalization. So I understand that this isn't going to apply to everybody, but I feel there's an overwhelming majority of maybe those early twenties now compared to my generation, mid thirties to 40, that, would not ever think about going to work without pay. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas my generation and and older, that was as much of a part of getting to where you want to get to as graduating high school. Right. Like you, you just knew that you needed to sacrifice. And I guess that's probably why, you know, going into military was such a good, um, a good feeling for me. Cause I'm like, listen, I've gained a lot. Like I had, you know, I had some, parts of my childhood that you know were kind of messed up by divorce and all this stuff but for the most part man i had a great childhood Mm -hmm. and i felt like i owed service right i i I have uncles that were in the military my stepbrother was in the air force i my grandfather was in the navy in world war ii like it was never a thought process growing up that i was going to join the military but you get to this certain age and you just realize how much you've been given and it's like Well, yes, I do want to use the military and I want to go back to school and do all this stuff. But like I have this duty, I have this sense of responsibility and this duty. And I carried that over to reaching out to Bill and I carried that out to reaching out to Lane about, you know, working for free to be able to gain that knowledge to get to where I am now. That's going to help me get to where I want to get to.
2: I do want to cover the specifics of what do you think you, like if you had to put it into some key tangible things that you've picked up from your experience of working for free or like the big key things. Um,
0: hmm, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, learning how to handle delayed gratification, I think would probably be a good one because like you're doing all this work, right? But you're not getting a financial reward for it. But you know that that reward is going to come later on in one form or another, right? So learning to do work without expecting anything in return is is a huge thing and a huge um, you know intangible aspect that I carry forward moving on. Because now anytime I do anything, like uh, I do it because... I do it because like I want to, right? Um, And I would do it regardless if I got a reward or not, right? So like the extra mile I go with my clients is not because I'm expecting them to re-sign with me. It's because I've made a commitment to them and I want to make sure that they're getting the most out of their time with me, right? So any other endeavor that I do with this book, for example, do I hope it does really well? Do I hope that I make a lot of money off of it? Absolutely. Is that the reason why I wrote the book? No not at all, right? It's because I want to provide a service. I want to help as many people as possible. And if that means great financial success, then great, right? But I'm not really looking for that uh, instant gratification from it. I'm looking for those people that possibly five years down the road, contact me like I contacted Lane. So I think that's a huge, huge part of working for free that you learn to um, not really expect that instant gratification. The other thing is, is that uh, it really humbles you. Um, you definitely understand that when I started work, when I started doing the, uh, you know, working with lane and everything, um, I thought there was going to be a lot more like, here's my client. We're going to go over this stuff, which there was more, majority of it was learning everything else about the business or in the financials, learning the marketing, learning all of that, that a lot of people don't really understand that goes into it. And that is it. I spend probably more time during the week on those aspects than the actual client stuff. And, and I don't mean that in a way like I'm neglecting my clients, but that is the the client part is, is one thing, but then everything else, there's so much more to this coaching bubble than, than actual client work. Um, it's, it's developing new programs for clients, right? It's developing uh, new marketing for yourself to try to attract new clients. It's about uh, coming up with educational material for posts to help educate the masses that might not ever come to me as a coach, right? They might not be able to afford me, but that doesn't mean I don't want them to benefit from my expertise or from my continued knowledge that I try to learn and, and project. So there's so much more to it than just the actual like numbers of coaching
1: yeah definitely like a lot of people in social media just see the end result but they don't know the amount of work and sacrifice that you got to put into like post educational platform and not just post it like thinking about okay what do i want to post how am i gonna like what am i gonna write what picture am i gonna use like it's a lot of a lot of work
0: and it's Um, hard to it's hard to not fall into that trap that you see a lot of a lot of influencers i guess do where get a lot of like you know, attention grabbing, you know, clickbait stuff. Now I did have an incident yesterday with a post that got a lot of, it got a lot of excitement out of a lot of people. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I feel like a lot of people took it. They read what they wanted to read. They didn't actually read what was there and I didn't mean for it to be clickbaity. but now looking back, I kind of see where it might've been. And I don't like doing that stuff. I do not like doing that. And I really was not intending to do that but you see a lot of influencers out there or people that are like, they just want the likes. They just want the clicks. Right. I just hit 10,000 followers. It's not a lot in this industry. Right. But they're are 10,000 true followers and I've worked years to get that way. And I've done it through, I probably could have done some things to get there a lot quicker, but I wasn't willing to because I want my platform to be about education, about, you know, um, good, solid information and about authentic authenticity. And I just see that, you know, a lot of people can get their numbers up higher by posting some ab shots or posting some booty pics and stuff like that and not having (laughs) substance to their quality, you know, no substance to their post. And I would much rather have tremendous substance and grow slowly Mm -hmm. over time. But with that, a lot more stress and a lot more headaches when it tries to when you actually try to figure out how to develop your posts how to develop your marketing because it's it's very hard some of this very scientific stuff that we learn and the science to break it down into an Instagram post so there's a lot of times where I like I've got probably 15 notes on my phone of posts that I've started that eventually will get posted and it's just like a new thought comes to my mind and I jot it, you know, I type it down, but refining that and making it scientific enough to get the point through, but still easily enough to digest that. the common person. It takes a lot more work than just throwing up an app. Yep. Oh, so, definitely. It's And, and, and I, I gotta be honest with myself. Like I don't have any impressive lifts, right? I, I don't have any great stage photos or anything like that. I have my knowledge. I have my experience. I have, my heart i have you know my uh motivation i try to give people and and that's my avenue and that that's a lot more difficult to cultivate than just some good stage picks or a good booty pick so
1: i don't know if this has happened to you but i bet it has um but it's super stressful and disappointing that like you read all this research you summarize it into a post make sure you even have your references it does, like, really shitty, but then someone posts, like, an picture with, like, bullshit information and, yep. like, lots of likes compared to your actual scientific <laughs> evidence-based post, like, that you spend hours yeah. and refer- references, like, like, yeah, it's super stressful.
0: It is something that, like, a few years ago really, really got to me. But now, kind of like what I just said, is, like, I understand what my lane is. Yep. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Not. Yeah. <laughs> I understand what my is and it's, yeah. it's, I don't want to be about all that. Like, and once you understand where your strength is, mm-hmm. right? Like there's two ways to figure out who you are. Either know what you want or know what you don't want. All yeah. right. For the longest time, I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew what I didn't want. And once I figured out and put that over here in this box, everything else just kind of follows. Right. Now I like to do a motivation. I do like I do a combination of educational, motivational, client testimony, like client stuff like that. Have a nice little like kind of rotation thing that I like to do with my with my post to keep it fresh because it can get very stale even as a content creator to keep doing the same thing over and over. And you do want to show your versatility, right? You do want to show that you're more than just a research rat. You do want to show that you can get results as a coach. You do want to show that your coaching isn't just about numbers. It's about the motivation. It's about the psychological aspect of coaching too, which is another thing that I think a lot of new coaches don't really have a grasp on is that the majority of my check-in time every week with clients, I'm a therapist. I'm not a, it doesn't take long to put new numbers in. Okay. It doesn't take too long to look at the the update to, to take the questions. It doesn't take long. The big thing is, is handling, and not every coach does this, but I get very personal, I guess, with my clients. Like I ask um, about eight to 10 questions on this form that I have them send me along with the shared uh, Google spreadsheet that we use. But I kind of get a little in depth, a little personal. Like I want to know, were there any stressors with your relationship? Were there stressors with work? I ask how your libido was that week. Like, that can tell a lot about somebody. Like, if they don't have much of a sex drive, that's a pretty good indication you're maybe not eternally healthy, right? And how was your sleep? How was all this stuff? Like, I want to know as much of your personal life as you're willing to give me because all that's going to do is help me be a better coach. But in return, sometimes you get more than you ask for and you, you really. <laughs> You know, have to kind of talk them off the ledge, <laughs> and and that doesn't really frustrate me. Like it, I love being able to help and do that, especially because of my background with dealing with therapy mm-hmm. in the past. I understand how important that is to any sort of a, any sort of success moving forward. Um, so, some coaches will be like, oh, "I'm a therapist, right? Like, I'm as I'm much of a therapist." I'm like, "Listen, guys, this is your opportunity to really make a difference in someone's life. Like, mm-hmm. this is how I see it." Getting someone to stage, like I've got I've got uh, a bikini girl going on this week who's been with me for over two years. She started in a bad place. We got her healthy. We prepped her this year. This is her third show. She's going to be done after this show, right? I've got another girl that's stepping on the stage next weekend who looks phenomenal also, um, and she had to overcome some things as well. Getting someone to stage, man or woman, making them look great is wonderful. Every coach wants that. You want the pictures. You want that. What's more important to me is everything that happens in between and everything that happens after, because you're on stage for like 30 seconds, right? What did you learn leading up to that? And what can you carry over after that show? To me, that's, what's important. And as a coach, being that sort of therapist helps put them in that mindset to be able to succeed afterwards also, and to continue to succeed until they get to the goal. So
1: I'm going to ask still a question that this guy asked like almost 90% of her guests. And you mentioned that even though you've had success, you want even, you want to be even more successful, right? So what's the end goal? Like, how do you see yourself in five, 10 years that's or how do you question. want to see yourself? <laughs> see that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question.
0: So um, I definitely, um, coaching is always going to be a part of, of it. Like I definitely want to be a coach known not only for results, but someone that you can trust, someone that continuously tries to educate the masses without asking for anything in return. That's, that's generally how I approach my YouTube content, my Instagram content. Um, This book is hopefully just a stepping stone. I have always loved writing. I feel I have a lot of different topics I'd like to, to write on. I'd like to have multiple books, um, now, this one isn't particularly just about fitness and nutrition. Obviously, there's elements of it, but I'm kind of using this book as an introduction to who I am, to the country, to whoever gets it. Um, but I do want to branch out. I've got many different book ideas I'd like to I'd like to do. Um, I do want to continue to grow my YouTube channel um, because that is the that's the present and that's the future right there. I would love to be able to educate millions of people like I don't want to sacrifice though who I am just for views so like I I'm not going to say I'm not going to do a fun food challenge every now and then right like that's just fun but I'm not going to be one of these instagrammers that's I mean one of these youtubers that's going to have a wild crazy big theatrical production of okay. a chain mm-hmm. I want to be able to give solid advice to people um I had given thought to opening a gym Um, I don't think I want to do that anymore. (laughs) Um, I think that honestly, uh, COVID has really opened my eyes to the vulnerability of that. And I also want to, um, I want to create and develop a coaching mentorship program. So for, for new coaches that want to get into it, teach them how to be a better coach for their clients and just kind of have all these different different umbrellas right or this one umbrella but different uh, branches off of it and stuff um to try to touch as many people as i can you know mm-hmm. books content coaching um i'd love to have my own coaching team like i would love to bring on people that share my same philosophy share my same values want to help people like in masses and stuff um and you know I'm always open to new ideas as well. Uh, one of the things is is that I, I have a very business like mind, so um, I know that there will be more ideas that come to my mind. Um, but I also want to make sure that I'm always sticking to my core values, and I'm not I'm not just selling out something, and I'm not just promoting something that is not something I believe in. Yeah, it's amazing. Right on. Now, where can everyone find you? Um, so on Instagram, I'm at Mathis Fitness, M-A-T-H-A-S Fitness. I know everybody spells it with an I. Um, and then on YouTube, if you just search David Mathis, M-A-T-H-A-S again, and then I do have a website. It's www.coachdavidmathis.com. And, um, I think that's
2: covered, I covered all the bases. So I'll can- link
1: all of that in the show notes. So if anyone uh, wants to find you,
2: it's way easier for them to find you. What's the name of the book? We know there's a book coming out, but we don't have a title. Um, it's called "A Shell of Myself." Shell of myself. Okay, right on, oh, right nice. on.
0: And uh, the cover is something that is really, really cool, in my opinion.
2: Okay, all right. <laughs>
0: the the title actually came like we were sitting there trying to figure out the title, and there was actually a part in the book where I just talk about I, I felt like I was a shell of myself, and it, it just kind of resonated. Like that's a really good title, right? But the cover is something that um, I'm really excited about because I just think it's a badass cover. To be honest, <laughs> it's not me on it, so when people see it, don't think that's like a picture of me. Um, but I think it really, really goes well with the theme of the book. So I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, it's something that I started right when COVID hit mm-hmm. back in March, and I worked like a madman on it. And it's uh, it's gonna be about. A little over two hundred pages. Okay, so it's a, it's a nice, nice, solid size book, and um, you know, just really hope it helps people. So, well, this has been
2: awesome, man. Thank you. No, this is great, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And are you
0: guys? So, are you guys in Tampa?
2: So I we're right now we're in Daytona. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I basically. So I'm from West Palm Beach, which is you know three hours south from tampa also three hours south from daytona so in my last eight years i've lived in this big ass triangle uh, gotcha. yeah. yeah tampa's great i mean he's going to be living in tampa yeah. soon,
0: next year right. yep. okay right, um yeah i know when you you know you said you were in the undergrad program i was like wait a second i know it's yeah i figured you were in tampa still but no that makes sense so
2: We're we're finishing up our chiropractic schooling here, and uh, yeah, he's going to be starting up practice over there, and I want to visit him because I miss Tampa. It's such a great area.
0: Tampa's great.